question we need to ask ourselves as we sing that song and others like it is do we really believe the words that we're voicing uh, and we should uh, he is the God who fights for us no matter what we're going through no matter what's going on in our lives no matter what we're thinking about no matter what we've got our eyes on God is fighting for us standing with us that's really what this chapter 2 of Exodus is all about we simply need to believe what uh, I suppose many of the Israelites had forgotten by this time after all these hundreds of years in slavery there in Egypt. Uh, God loves us. Amen. He is committed to our well-being. Uh, he has provided for our deliverance. We're going we're gonna to talk about that uh, today. That's what the message is going to be all about. Uh, I read about a young pastor in his first church. And he was trying to prepare his very first message to his new congregation. So, you know, he wanted it, he wanted it to be good. Uh, he wanted to, to speak to the needs uh, of his people. And so he prayed and he read and he prayed and he read and just never got a real peace about where he might bring his message from. And so finally, as the week wore on, uh, kind of in desperation, he decided he would ask one of his Deacons, an older man who had been so faithful to the church for so many years, he, surely he would, he would have some, some guidance. So he asked him, he said, uh, you know, I've really been struggling about this first message. What should I preach about? And the wise deacon paused for just a moment and then looked back at his pastor and he said, Pastor, preach about God. And then he said, and Preach about 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, that's funny because it's true, right? We want to hear about God, but we only want to hear about God for about 20 minutes. We've got other things to do today, right? In your Sunday school lesson this morning, as Ezra read from the book of the law, the scripture says that he read to the congregation from early morning until noon. You know, one of the issues that Neil and I deal with as we preach, especially in these Old Testament narratives, uh, these historical portions of scripture, uh, we're going to be bringing messages. I mean, my message comes from the entire chapter 2 of Exodus, 25 verses. Of course, Neil took the opportunity last week and he broke up his reading as he went point by point through his message. I think I'm just going to read mine, all 25 verses to start with, and then I'll refer to them. And you know, the question that always goes through our minds as we have people stand is, you know, is that too long? Is it going to take too long to read 25 verses? Good. Let's stand. You know, the truth is, Neil spoke about the oppression of Israel, the oppression of God's people. Today, we're going to talk about God's deliverance, or really the deliverer that he would send to his people. And both this oppression and the deliverance of his people were revealed, well, long before Joseph ever arrived in Egypt, and even longer before Moses was born, way back in Genesis chapter 15, 
when God was making his covenant with Abram, all right, he wasn't even named Abraham yet, it was still Abram, and this is what God said to him in verses 13 and 14 of Genesis 15. He said, and again, I'm going to get back to Exodus in just a moment. (laughs) He said, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, Egypt. And there will be, and they will be servants there, slaves, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So, none of the events that we are going to be reading about and studying in Exodus were certainly not any surprise to God. And they shouldn't have been any surprise to God's people. Not if they were observers of the law of God, which really hadn't been given to them yet. But if they knew the stories of Abraham, they should have known that these days... We're coming. It's amazing how much comfort we would receive throughout life if we simply knew God's word the way we should. All of this, this oppression, the exodus, the deliverance of his people was all a part of God's great plan of redemption. And of course, it is Moses that is remembered as Israel's deliverer and lawgiver. Uh, But again, as Neil reminded us last week, it is God himself who is the hero of this story. So the psalmist was absolutely correct when he wrote this in Psalm 18, verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Uh, I promise that I'm going to preach about God this morning. And I also will promise that I will preach for at least 20 minutes. All right. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for the word of God. Thankful for the promises that you have given us in your word. Father, we ask you to help us to better acquaint ourselves with these promises. Those Israelites sojourning in Egypt should have known, Father, that these days would take place. And that ultimately you would indeed deliver them. But I am quite certain that many of them had long forgotten or perhaps had never even been acquainted with the promises that you made to Abraham. And Lord, we're in that same situation today. Lord, we lose sight of the word of God in our day-to-day lives. We, we forget. We, we, we simply don't apply these truths to ourselves and to our particular circumstances. We tend to think of them as something for another generation, another day, another people. But Father, these promises are for us, your people, Christians, those of us who have trusted in your Son, Jesus Christ, who have called upon the Lord and been saved from the enemy of sin. So Lord, help us today to embrace these truths as as promises from you. And to live in light of those promises every day, though our situation may not be exactly as it was in Egypt during these days. Father, we too live in perilous times, dangerous times. And Lord, the comfort that you make available to us simply through our knowledge of your word is so great, so awesome. So Lord, help us to to trust you today, to take you at your word, to know that you love us, to know that you are working all things together for our good, to know that you have provided a deliverer, and his name is Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. And Well, no, we're going to stand, aren't we? You can be seated if you need to. I'm keeping you standing a whole lot longer than I anticipated. 
Exodus chapter 2, let's read it together. And if you need to follow along, it'll be here on the screen. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took, his wi- and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of uh, bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. This, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, or then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl uh, went away and called the child's mother. Uh, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. And watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. And I pray, Father that we would trust your word, embrace your word, walk in accordance with your word. Know that just as you were working in behalf of your people Israel through all those many years of oppression and slavery, Lord, you are working in our life today. So Lord, just encourage and comfort us today with that great truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, those of you that are still standing. I'm proud of you. (laughs) First thing we're going to see, of course, is that God provides a deliverer, all right? 
Uh, and of course, the deliverer that is being provided is Moses in this particular uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, it's just amazing to me. Of course, we read 25 verses there that took us through more than 40 years of, of history. Uh, so really didn't take all that long in the grand scheme of things. But Moses came into the world in the ordinary way. Again, if anything about conception and childbirth can really be referred to or considered ordinary, it is, uh, it is extraordinary, no doubt. Uh, but I want to point something out to you. Despite the perilous times in which Moses' parents lived, they chose to marry and to raise a family. I want to point that out because I hear, and increasingly so, people saying words like this, I just don't know if I want to bring a child into this world. The world has always been a dangerous place. I think we tend to think that our world is somehow more dangerous than it was in, in other times. But think about this. If you were a Hebrew living in Egypt during these days, the law of the land was that if you brought into this world a male child, that child was to be thrown into the Nile River where it would either drown or be eaten by the crocodiles. That was the law of the land. Sounds pretty dangerous to me. Raising a family, trusting God, has always been done in a somewhat dangerous context. Life has always been difficult. So Moses' parents decided in spite of the day in which they were living, they would have a family. And of course we know that not only was Moses born during this time, but they already had a son, Aaron, and a daughter, Miriam, uh, none of these people will be named until later, of course. Uh, but they were raising their family to fear the Lord in spite of the difficult days in which they lived. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, tells us that, that Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Uh, again, words that we should take note of. I believe there are times in our lives where laws are passed, governments are set up, uh, men assume positions of power, and it frightens us. And let me tell you, church, we don't need to be afraid. Uh, there, there was no more ruthless leader of a nation than this Pharaoh that issued this edict that all of these Hebrew boys should be killed. No more ruthless world ruler than that. No more powerful world ruler than he at the time that he made the edict. Moses' parents should set an example for us. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And I also want you to notice something here that neither one of, of Moses' parents are named in this passage of scripture. His mother's name, of course, as we'll find out, is Jochebed. His father's Amran. But at this point, they're not named. They are only described as a man from the house of Levi and a Levite woman. And I, I call that to your attention because if you're not careful when you read this, you'll just pass right over that. It doesn't seem to be of any real significance to us. But who is the tribe that would later on be designated by the law of Moses that would come through this little baby boy that was born in this chapter? What tribe would be designated as the spiritual leaders 
of Israel. Well, it was the tribe of Levi, right? So what this tells us is that really before Moses was ever born, God already had him qualified to do the job that he would be called to decades later. And I say that again just to point out that we can trust the Lord. He is at work in ways that we cannot see, that we do not know. And again, he is always working things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And from everything I can read and understand about Moses' parents, these were parents who were faithful to the Lord. They loved their children. They loved the Lord. And they were raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Again, they should set an example for us today. Parents, we should live bold Christian lives before our children. They need us to lead the way and to set that kind of godly example. Because one day they'll be the ones leading the way for their little ones. And they need to see how that's done. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They were going to have a family and they loved their, their son uh, who was already qualified for the work that God would call him to fulfill. And of course, shouldn't surprise us at all, says that when uh, the woman who had conceived and born a son, when she saw him, she saw that he was a, a fine child. And of course she saw that he was a, a fine child. Every mother believes that her little baby boy is the most handsome little boy that was ever born. And, and so we would expect nothing less from Jochebed. But, but I believe these words here point to something different. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, and again, this should be a uh, a principle of interpretation. Did you know that the New Testament often gives us details that we don't have in the Old Testament? We should interpret some of the Old Testament things that, are look, that look a little sparse or shadowy. The New Testament often gives us a fuller understanding of that. And in this particular case, it says in Hebrews 13, 23, that both of his parents, not just the mother, but both of his parents saw that the child was beautiful. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, we are taught that when Moses was born, he was beautiful in God's sight. So not only was this little boy special, beautiful, fine in the eyes of his parents, but he was beautiful in the eyes of God. And I want you to know, no matter what family you were born into, no matter what your circumstances of birth and upbringing are, you're beautiful in God's sight. You're beautiful in God's sight. It's not just Moses that was beautiful in God's sight. And again, I'm going to tell you this morning that, that all of these descriptions of him being a fine child, if you just take that word literally, it meant that he was a healthy boy. He was just what his mom and dad had prayed for. We want a healthy boy. We want a child that will survive in this perilous world in which we live. And, and he was that. And he was beautiful. He was precious in their sight. Precious in God's sight. All of this an indication of the special role that Moses would play as he served the Lord. And again, the temptation for us is to look at this as some peculiar or particular situation that only applies to Moses. And again, there were things about his life that only Moses was going to do that we certainly will not be able to, to repeat but this idea of being fine and beautiful and beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, that applies to all of us. And the fact that those words should indicate that God has some special purpose for our lives, that also applies to all of us. All too often we think, you know, I'm nobody. 
I don't have all that many gifts and talents. God can't really use me. Let me tell you, never think that way and never say those things to yourself. You'd be surprised what God would do in your life if you just said, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. Use me in whatever way you choose. Moses was indeed going to be used in a special way. He would serve God in a remarkable way. And so, again, his parents, I believe, indicated by these verses, had some understanding of that. And so what did they do? They didn't throw him into the Nile River, did they? They hit him. Look at verse 3. When she could, or she hit him for three months, verse the end of verse 2. And then, of course, the time came when she could no longer hide him. Uh, Moses' mother protected him for as long as she could, kept him out of sight, kept him quiet, kept him in the house or away from people where he would not be noticed, especially by some Egyptian, especially by a daughter of of Egypt's Pharaoh. She was doing everything that she could do. I have no doubt that his father, Amran, was doing everything that he could do to, to protect his child Just like we as human parents do today, right? We want to protect our children. We do everything we can to give them the things that they need. To protect them from from the dangers of this world. But ultimately, as we see here, who's the one that's really protecting Moses? Well, it's God, right? God's the hero of this story. God's the one who is enabling Moses to survive. He's protecting his deliverer. Moses Parents, of course, as I said, were faithful to the Lord. They trusted God. They feared God. Matter of fact, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. That's why they hid their son. And so again, parents, your children need you to fear the Lord. To reverence Almighty God and His Word. They need to see that in you. Just as Aaron and Miriam were seeing that in their mom and dad. Of course, soon the baby grew enough that he could no longer be easily hidden. So this is when Moses' mother entrusted him, really fully entrusted him to God. And the same thing happens in our lives with our children, doesn't it? We keep them close. We we provide for them. We protect them. But the day comes when they got to go off to school, that first day of school. How many moms have cried tears that first day of school? And dads, we probably did too. We just hid it, right? We didn't let anybody see us. And then, of course, those firsts continue to come throughout the life of our children where, where they, we have to give them more and more freedom. They, they, further and further away from us, more and more time away from our protective Care. And so what do we do? We have to do exactly what Jacobed and Amran did. We, we, we entrust them to the Lord. Scripture says that she took a basket. And it's interesting that that word basket, there are, there are several Hebrew words that could have been translated basket or used. This is the word for ark. Same word that was used for the ship that Noah built. An ark. She put him in an ark. A little foreshadowing of or maybe backshadowing of things to come. 
She made it out of bulrushes. She daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put tar on the outside of it so that it would become as waterproof as possible. Then she put the child in it. She placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Again, all of this description speaks of the tenderness, the love that Jacobet had for her son. She was attempting to do everything that she could possibly do to ensure his survival, his safety, uh, even to the point of appointing Miriam, Moses' sister, to watch, to see what would be done to him if he were discovered or when he were discovered. She had to know that eventually he would be found. And again, in all of this, we just need to see the Lord. It was on that particular day, at that particular point in time, at that particular spot uh, of the river that One of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe, and she saw the basket. She saw it, sent her servant to retrieve it, and then she opened it, and and she looked inside, and there was a baby boy, and he was crying, and what's so wonderful here, it says that she took pity on him. She could have just said, oh, this is a Hebrew child, a male child. Into the river you go. But she didn't do that. And why do you suppose she didn't do that? It's because of God protecting his deliverer, God protecting the child that he loved. So she finds him. She decides that she would take care of him. And so what that meant was, again, at least at that point in Jacobed's mind, she must have thought, I've got to give him up. But we just see the goodness of God here. Miriam, I don't know how old Miriam was at this point, but she was a smart girl. And she must have seen on the face or maybe heard in the words that Pharaoh's daughter said that there's an opportunity here. Would you like for me to call one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you and to take care of him? And Pharaoh's daughter immediately agreed. Yeah, go, do that. And who did Miriam run to get? Well, she went to get her mom, Moses' mom. And so Moses' mom had her baby returned to her. Jacobed got her little boy back. And not only did she get to take care of that little boy and nurse him, but the Pharaoh paid her to do it. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful illustration of the goodness of God. And, and, And church, again, let me just say this to you. When we think of our own children, we don't have to be afraid to entrust them into the Lord's care. Whether it's the first day of school or the first day of college or, or them being given in marriage or the first day that, that they themselves bring children into the world, we don't have to be afraid for them. We can trust God to protect them. It says here that uh, Pharaoh's daughter, well, the time came. Again, we're rushing through time awfully quickly. We don't know exactly how long, probably Three years or so went by, and of course, uh, the time came for Moses to be given back to the Pharaoh's daughter, and I'm sure that was a difficult day for Jochebed as well. But she gives him up, entrusting him once again to the protection of the Lord. And it says that the daughter of Pharaoh at this point named him, named him Moses. And what's interesting here is that there's an Egyptian word that sounds like Moses, and it simply means son. So perhaps Pharaoh's daughter was just simply trying to call him my son, named him Moses. But there's also a Hebrew word that means one who's drawn out or or to draw out. Uh, 
Maybe she was trying to incorporate something of his Hebrew heritage. She knew he was a Hebrew baby boy. Uh, But literally, what I want us to understand is that word Moses, the name Moses, means he who draws out. He was the one that God would use to draw his people out of Egyptian bondage. And so the name was, of course, absolutely appropriate for the calling that would, uh, was already upon his life. So no matter what Pharaoh's daughter intended in naming him Moses, we know why he was named Moses. He would be the one who would lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage with great possessions, uh, as God told Abram back in Genesis 15. So, God provides a deliverer. Of course, he protects that deliverer. Moses was going to be the one that led Israel out. Nothing was going to happen to that boy, not until until God was ready to take him home, not until he had fulfilled the purposes for which God had created him. And that's something else I, I hope you understand. Did you know that your life is going to be one in which God fulfills his purposes for you? And I know that not because we don't fail. We do, right? But God never does. We're going to see Moses failed. He jumps the gun here a little bit. We're going to read about that. or We've read about that already. He goes out to, to view his people and the burdens that they are enduring. And he kills a man. Moses got ahead of himself, ahead of God. God wasn't ready for him to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage yet. There was still preparation that needed to be done in Moses' life. It just says there in verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up. Forty years have elapsed, all right? Or about 40 years. Moses is 40 years old here, but about 40 years has elapsed between verses 10 and verses 11. Moses has been raised in the palace as a grandson of Pharaoh. He has all the status and wealth of an Egyptian prince. But the interesting thing that we find out here is that Moses knew who he was. And he knew who his people were. And so at this point, he makes a decision. I use the word condescension in my outline. Because Moses, in order to to stand with his people, had to step down. He had to step away from his privilege as a prince in Egypt. Uh, If you and I are going to successfully serve the Lord, there will be times when we will be called upon to do that as well. To step away from whatever status we might have had in order to become a servant, a slave of God's people. That's what Moses was willing to do. To do, he he made a conscious decision. That's the idea here. Uh, and though it doesn't say that as clearly as we would like here in Exodus, Hebrews eleven verses twenty four through twenty six says this: By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And listen to this: He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. Now, I don't know how much Moses could have possibly known about Christ, 
Perhaps he had heard of this Messiah that would come, this Christ that would come, but he certainly knew nothing of the Lord Jesus. Not like we do. And yet, even at this stage of his understanding, Moses chose the reproach of Christ rather than the treasures of Egypt. Let me ask you a question today. Would you make that choice? You should. We should choose to stand with the Lord and bear the reproach that comes with standing for Christ rather than being the wealthiest person on the planet. That's what Moses did. He made a decision. Acts 7.23 says this, When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Who do you suppose put that thought in his heart? God did. The Christian life, a life of faith, will be characterized by decisions, determinations, resolutions. And often those decisions will be difficult ones. They will be decisions that lead to a denial of comfort, convenience, pleasure, wealth, status, position. We expect that from our ministers and from our missionaries, don't we? There's an old saying, you know, that for pastors, God will keep pastors humble and the church will keep the pastor poor. Now, that's not so true here. But again, we expect a certain level of sacrificial commitment from Moses, from missionaries. But again, church, this applies to all of us. God calls us to sacrifice, to give, to to step down from the things that we could have in order to serve God who really gives us everything. You know, it's all we just have to convince ourselves. If we have Jesus, what do we have? We have everything, right? And, And it doesn't really matter what our bank account says. If we have Jesus, we have everything. If we're children of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus. One day, we will inherit everything. It belongs to us. But somehow, we manage to convince ourselves that we just don't have nearly the things that we need. Moses condescended. He stepped down from his place of status as a prince of Egypt in order to identify and to stand with his brothers, his Hebrew brothers and sisters. And of course, as I said, he jumped the gun. He went out and he saw the burden that they were under and he looked and he saw a Hebrew, uh, an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew. And so he came to his brother's defense and he, and he killed the man. And you know, the truth is, might have been a justifiable homicide. If, if the Egyptian was attempting to, to kill the, the, the Hebrew man, and we don't know for sure, it, in, it seems to indicate that that may have been the case. That word beating sometimes means to beat to death. If he was beating this man to death and Moses intervened, he might have been right to do that. But he also noticed that he kind of looked around to see if anybody was looking right. And then he intervened, and then he hid the Egyptian's body in the sand. He didn't want anybody to know. <clears throat> And then the very next day he went out, and this time the scuffle was between not an Egyptian and a Hebrew, but two Hebrews. And he intervenes again. Why are you fighting? 
And, and he directs his question to the, the one who was in the wrong. I guess it was evident which of the two Hebrew men was in the wrong. And Moses confronts him. And of course, he doesn't get the, the response that I believe he had hoped for. Who made you prince and judge over us? God simply wasn't ready for the deliverance that he was preparing to take place. And neither were these Hebrew men and women. Who made you prince and judge over us? You know, it's, again, this is an indication of the difficulty of walking with God. Moses, I believe, fully intended to do the right thing. Thought he was doing the right thing. Had every intention of doing the right thing. But the timing wasn't right. There was more that Moses had to learn in order to accomplish God's purpose. And his preparation, of course, would come not there in Egypt at those fine Egyptian schools, but rather it would come in the wilderness herding sheep. If you had asked Moses on this particular day, Moses, what further preparation do you need to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, to truly stand with them in their suffering and be their deliverer? I guarantee you he wouldn't have said, well, you know what? I think I need to go spend 40 years out in the desert herding somebody else's sheep. There are times in our lives when God sends us through years that we would never have anticipated. Years where we perhaps even wonder, what in the world are you doing with me, Father? I want to serve you. I believe I've been called to, to, to be a servant to you and to your people. Why am I here in this place? Why does it seem to take so long? I can remember after mowing yards for several summers, I kept hoping, Lord, put me in a church. Help me to, to, to be where I believe you've called me to be. I've gone to school. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And you know, it was an interesting thing that one particular day, I mean, the Lord just spoke to my heart. And he told me, you're doing what I want you to do. Amen. And I remember I sat down that day under a, a live oak tree, and I just, I just prayed. I said, Lord, if this is what you have for me, if I'm supposed to mow yards, land, do landscaping, serve as a Sunday school teacher in my church, a deacon perhaps, and if this is all that there ever is, then that's okay with me. And you know it was only about two weeks later? that I ended up going on staff at a little church very briefly before I came here. We just need to let God be God. And that's what Moses had to do. Of course, the words that this Hebrew said to him implied that his killing of the Egyptian was now known. And of course, we find out that Pharaoh knew, and because Pharaoh learned, he sought to kill Moses, and so Moses had to make a run for it. He fled to the land of Midian, and he stayed there, the scripture says. He sat down by a well, and of course the wonderful story of how the, the daughters of uh, the, the priest of Midian had, had come to water their flocks, and the other shepherds had, had, had basically let them do the work and then taken uh, their well or their well water away from them. But Moses once again intervened. I mean, you can just see the character of this man. He stood against, I don't know how many shepherds there were, and he was by himself, but he stepped in and he rescued these girls from their oppressors. He watered their flocks for them. And of course, ultimately, he finds himself sitting at the table of this man who the girls 
well, who was the father of these girls. And he stays there. And look at verse 27, or 21, I want you to notice this. It says, and Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughters. So he ends up marrying one of these girls and having a child. Names him Gershom. But, but what's interesting here is that word, he was content to dwell with the man. Moses was in a, a foreign land. He was no longer with his people, not the Egyptians or the Israelites that he had known all his life. But that word content, he was content. Again, it implies a decision. He made a conscious decision. This must be God's will for my life. So I'm going to be content. I'm going to resign myself. I'm, I'm, I'm making a conscious decision. We might even say it this way if we were writing it. And it pleased Moses to stay with the man. He made a decision that this must be God's will for his life. And so he submitted himself to his new father-in-law and ultimately, of course, to God. The education, the preparation that he needed would take place right there. And, of course, we know that it would take 40 years. I don't know too many people who have been in that window of time where we're wondering what in the world God's doing for 40 years. Maybe there's some. Moses was there 40 years. And we can only imagine what the people of Israel were, were experiencing while Moses was away in Midian all those years, right? They were still under the oppression of the Pharaoh. A new king had, had come, a new Pharaoh had arisen, the old one had died, but now a new one had come, but they were still enslaved. They were still crying out to God. So what is it that provokes the heart of God to move in behalf of his people? Well, it's our, it's our prayer, right? The people groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. It says that the prayers of the people of Israel went up for many days. And boy, was it many days. Again, 40 years had gone by since Moses had left there. They were still praying, still crying out to God. It is a right thing for us to do to pray persistently, to bring our complaints. Really, that's what it was. They were complaining, God, we've been under the yoke of slavery for all these years. Do you not know? Do you not care? Do you not love us? They groaned. But look what it says there. It says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Don't ever think for a minute that God doesn't hear your prayer. When you cry out to him for help, he hears. Even when we are complaining about the way that He takes care of us, God loves us, and He still is moving in our behalf. He's a compassionate God. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Again, it's a picture of these prayers ascending up through the atmosphere to the very throne of grace. God hears us. God cares about what we ask of Him here on this earth. Again, I think sometimes we get this idea that God is far away, far removed from the day-to-day -day activities of our life. He is not. He's here. He's with us. He's for us. He hears. God heard their groaning. I love Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. I've read it so many times. I love the Lord, the psalmist says, 
because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Let me tell you, the psalmist had discovered that God hears him when he cries out for help. He knew that God not only heard, but the the idea behind those words inclined is that God turned in response to the cries of his child, stooped to pick that child up to meet his needs. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's what God does for us. He hears us, and he's not just up there listening, thinking, oh, well, I'll get to you in a little while. He cares. He moves in our behalf. God heard their groaning. And then he also remembered his covenant. And let me just say this. Anytime you read that God remembered something, don't think for a moment that it's like us. Every now and then I'll remember something. And what that means is that, oh, I had forgotten something, and now I've remembered it. God doesn't forget anything. Nothing has to be brought or re-brought to his attention. The idea behind this word remembered in the Old Testament is that God just acts in accordance with Again, here, his covenant. He had made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all along the way, even during the 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God was acting in accordance with his covenant. He had told them, you're going to be sojourners in a foreign land. You're going to be slaves there. But I'm going to judge that people, and I'm going to bring you out. The 400 years was almost up. God was always acting. God always acts in accordance with his word. God never does anything contrary to his word. Contrary to his character. Never. We do that. God never does that. He remembered his covenant. He kept his promise. It was as certain as if it was happening at that very moment. Indeed, it was. So he heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel. That's such a wonderful thing. God saw them. You ever thought... As you cried out to God, God, do you even see me? Do you even see what's going on here? Let me tell you, God sees. He sees everything. And again, the idea really behind all of these these words, his hearing, his remembering, his seeing, and then, of course, the last word is that he got, God knew. All of them imply that God understands what we're going through. God saw his people. He knew the trouble they were in. He was completely aware of their misery. Nothing had caught him by surprise. And it was all a part of his plan. He was in the process of providing for their relief, even as they groaned to him day and night. And then again, God knew. There's that word knew again. We've talked about it so often. God was intimately acquainted with his people and their problems. He loved them and was committed to their well-being. Again, I think sometimes we get the idea, and I have no doubt that the Israelites probably got the idea, God doesn't care. If he cared, he would have done something. Too many years have gone by. Surely he would have done something by now. Don't ever entertain thoughts like that. God loves you. He's totally committed to your well-being. He knows. He hears. He remembers. He sees. He knows. Comforting words for us. As Christians, we can always count on God's compassion. So, what should we do? We should do what the psalmist determined to do. Cry out to God. Trust that relief is on the way. And then let me just say this. If you are not a Christian today, or not certain about your salvation, know this. 
God has provided a deliverer. There is no enemy that can overcome this deliverer. God has provided a deliverer. John 3.16, right? This, this favorite verse of ours. God gave his only son. There's, there's the deliverer. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Of course, Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Whatever enemy has come against you, whatever struggle you are involved in, turn to God's deliverer, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Receive him as Savior and Lord and be saved from your enemies.